Okay. I have a feeling that some of you ladies who are in this study have also done like uh, Beth Moore studies or Priscilla Shiver too. So you're the word nerds. Let me just tell you. You like to dig, right? So we're going to dig for a buried treasure here. And I don't think, um, I don't want to give you the wrong impression. It's buried for us to find, not to hide it from us. And um, so I've done a couple of things a little differently. Can I have one of my handouts, please? <laughs> so I can read it to you. Uh, you're receiving two different papers here. One is a fill-in-the-blank style. I really didn't start out thinking we were going to do this. But um, we're going to go ahead and use the format of filling in the blank and um, pull some truth from there. And what I like about filling the blank, though, is that it really focuses on a power statement. We can talk about it, talk about it, talk about it, but the power statement is, bam, it's right there. Here's the truth. Here's the meat of it. And then the other um, handout that you're getting is front and back, and it's... Uh, Actually, I start at the top by sharing with you the, the process of coming up, uh, of studying this uh, portion of scripture and giving you some of these, the locations of this. So I, um, as God al always does, he dropped this study in my heart, even about this particular um, chapter in the Gospels, and it was like, okay, now teach me. I need to know what is the most important thing. Why this story? We're going to talk about um, the paralyzed guy and his four crazy friends. Um, that's not from the Message Bible. I made that up. And <laughs> but why are we going to study this? And I really kind of wondered because I thought, no, I'd rather talk about this miracle. But no, God really directed me to this first. And then I, like I said, God just does this. He's so cool. I, I. Uh, record uh, Andrew Womack's ministry, uh, his half an hour teachings daily. And I have 257 of them right now. I'm <laughs> I need to start deleting some. But I randomly picked one because I, I just listen to them anytime I have an opportunity to, um, usually curling my hair, you know, cleaning up my sloppy bedroom, whatever, you know, I'm just listening. And it, this teacher taught on this scripture. It was like, yes, and it was so amazing. So um, I put that on there, teaching video by Barry Bennett. He is a dean of teachers at Karis Bible School, who is, um, Karis Bible School is Andrew Womack's um, Bible School. Cool, all right. Um, another resource that you might not be aware of, Andrew Womack himself has an online Bible commentary, and he has taken... Uh, verse by verse, and sometimes groups of verses, and given his commentary on them. And you can look that up online. I gave you the uh, link for that. And I do that often. Okay, what, what, what about this scripture? And I go to that online commentary, and he just brings truth. He connects other scriptures to it. Um, I believe he's a trusted Bible teacher. And then I googled, <laughs> where, because <laughs> I don't know these things, where is the story of Jesus healing the paralytic in the Gospels? All right. And it turns out that there's three uh, scripture references found, one in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then I started trying to read each one. And I found that there were different facts presented in each of the Gospels. So then I found, just Googling around again, I found this website called the Fourfold Gospels. And this guy did something brilliant. When there is uh, more than one reference to the same event, 
So you're going to see in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they each tell the same story about the paralytic being healed. But instead of having to flip from book to book to book and try and compare and, and contrast and all that kind of stuff, he put it all in one big reading and just pieced all the information. And that's what I've done is I've printed out. Oh, and then he adds lots of commentary. So um, I took the commentary out because I'm going to commentary for you this morning. But um, we're going to be able to all study from the same version and see how the same story is presented, um, pulling all the information and putting it in one place. Does that sound cool? All right, so those are the tools that I used. And if that gets you excited, you are an official word nerd, okay? So Because it really excites me. But we find that the four books of the Bible... Chronicling the life of Jesus, um, of course, are found in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, so what do we know about these books? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You don't have to wonder who wrote them. <laughs> okay. And these were four guys who were part of the original 12 who experienced these firsthand. These are eyewitnesses. But let me tell you something about eyewitness. Uh, back in the day, my husband and I lived in uh, uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico. My husband had already been stationed there for a year and a half. And by the time we got married, that was the first place that we had to live because he was, he was there on part of his Air Force tour. And so I came in, you know, needing a job and ended up working at a bank as a bank teller. There's some good stories to that, too, but we're not going to go there. Um, let me just say, uh, because... We as Christians in the world bring light to dark places. Uh, there were some interesting things happened. I got subpoenaed three or four times to testify because of people trying to do um, evil things, you know, like money laundering and forgeries and things like that. And every time, I, God had alerted me to what was going on. And so they, I could testify and make sure that justice was served. So anyway... Bring light everywhere you go, right? In Jesus' name. So here I am. I'm getting trained, though, for this bank teller job. And right in the middle of our training, we're all in just one small room, the door bursts open, and this woman walks in, and she goes, I'm here to, uh, she says, I'm here to rob every one of you. And she had a gun in her hand, and she just, she was real threatening, and she's yelling at all of us, everybody on the floor! You know, just like the real thing. And then the door shut, and we're all like, what just happened? But it was an exercise because they were trying to teach us to be very observant. And they said, okay, you've got three minutes to write the description of exactly what just happened. What did she look like? What did she say? Um, anything unusual that you noticed? And what was so crazy is that we all read, maybe 10, 12 people in the room, we all read our account of what just happened, and it didn't all match up. It was crazy. She was wearing a red dress. No, she actually was wearing pants and a shirt. You know, it was crazy how sometimes we see things from a slightly different slant. Now, I want to just preface the fact that Matthew, Mark, and Luke were all present during this miracle, the healing of the paralytic, um, the, the, the paralyzed guy, and um, they all witnessed it, but they all saw it from a slightly different perspective. Now, we have to believe that every word of, uh, written in the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit. So I don't believe there are any conflicts. Sometimes it's a language issue because I started to kind of see a few things. And, mm, why did he say this? But the other one said this. 
again, digging a little deeper, we find it's all consistent. It's all consistent. So um, let's go to your uh, fill-in-the-blank sheet. Um, just a little bit of um, terminology here. Um, so if you want to sound really smart to your friends, right? The first three Gospels are called synoptic Gospels. And we're going to put this up on the screen for you. Synoptic Gospels. Because the word S-Y-N in the Greek tells us that um, it is the same. And optic, of course, refers to sight. So the first three Gospels are called synoptic because they see alike. And what's interesting is they basically tell the same story as each other and covering many of the same events, in mostly in the same order. Now, did they collaborate and all sit side by side and say, okay, now we're going to write about you know, feeding 5,000. I don't believe so. I believe the Holy Spirit wove it together that way. So in that, we call them the synoptic gospels. They're very similar, and they saw things very similar. Um, where number two, the book of John, the fourth book of the gospel, is very unique in content. So we've got the synoptic gospels, and then John kind of stands alone. And uh, if you look at the number three on your paper there, that's just a chart. And I just found this very interesting. And again, you word nerds are going to say, ooh, I'm going to look that one up, and I'm going to look that one up. So go for it. Run with it. But if you see, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is listed across the top. And um, they went through and pulled out all the miracles that each of them wrote about. And you notice that all the similar ones are found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You can read that list there. And John stands alone. So he had a completely different perspective on the life of Jesus. And we find amazing things in the book of John. But they are different, even different stories, different events that um, you're only going to find in the synoptic gospels. So what I find interesting is that our story this morning is found in the three books, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so that's why we have kind of condensed them all in one version. Um, and I think, too, what's really cool about uh, the four Gospels, obviously they are like the, the biography of Jesus' life, right? And I believe we can learn so much by just... Hi, Kathy. <laughs> I just saw you there. Good, good to see you. We can learn so much by just observing Jesus. And I love, I, I want you to pay attention in the next couple of weeks. How many times when Jesus is in a high-pressure situation and he's facing his, really, mortal enemies, they're out to get him, they're out to trap him, they're out, really, in the end, they're the ones that uh, thought that they were successful in, in killing him. Of course, we know Jesus laid his life down. But the process of that, everywhere he went, they were showing up, and, um, and yet he was on an unapology tour. <laughs> he never held back. But how he worked with such brilliant wisdom, of course, and he answers a question with a question. So many times. That's just an observation I want you to just be aware of. And all I can say is, wow, Jesus, teach me how to answer a question with a question when I'm in a hard spot. And we'll see how Jesus operates through the power of the Holy Spirit. But I found this very cool, too, that hanging in the tabernacle, the, the Jewish tabernacle, was a huge curtain or a veil. 
And, okay, we know that this was constructed long before Jesus, okay? We're talking about the Old Covenant. We're talking about, um, you know, uh, Old Testament times. And they uh, were instructed to sew, I guess you would say, um, a huge veil that hung inside the tabernacle and on it there were four different colors and we can actually look at those four different colored um, on this beautiful uh, embroidered you know beautifully you can imagine how gorgeous it was and it was very large and they actually correspond to the four gospels because in the gospel of Matthew uh, if you could put it in a nutshell, he talks about the gracious king of the Jews, and the color is purple for royalty. So long before Matthew came along and wrote the gospel, it was, this is like a prophetic word. We see that the gospel of Matthew can be represented by the color purple. Royalty, that's why we find Jesus' genealogy, and his right to kingship is explained. Another color on this beautiful tapestry is white and we believe that represents the book of Mark because Mark shows Jesus as a servant pure there's no genealogy mentioned in Mark because in the book of Mark you don't ask a servant for his pedigree it's not about his kingship and his royalty but it's about his servanthood he was a servant king as we know he was a tireless servant, and you will find, and you can read this for yourself, that in the first book of Mark, the word immediately is used 11 times. Because we're talking about this tireless servant boy. First we do this, and then we turn around, we do this, and we do this, and we do this. Jesus was always on the move. He was a tireless servant. And they say, and immediately they got up and did this. And immediately this happened. So it's very cool. The book of Luke can be represented by the color red. And... In the book of Luke, we find um, Jesus is portrayed as a man, not a sinful man, but we see him portrayed as a man, and we see him um, being called um, the last Adam, and the word Adam means blood man. So he's shown growing up as a boy starting from age 13, um, and the most common reference in all four Gospels, to Jesus, and he refers himself to himself as the Son of Man. So that's found a lot in the book of Luke. And then the last color that you would see on this veil or curtain um, represents the book of John, and it's the color blue, and it represents the heavens, and the eagle flies higher than any bird, and the eagle can see further than any bird, and the, the, the eagle flies highest into the heavens. So I really believe that the book of John gives us a whole different level of um, revelation. So those are some of the tools and some of the uh, foundation, um, but we are going to be staying in the Gospels for the next uh, couple of weeks here. So let's just go through on that same uh, tool sheet there the uh, version of the, uh, the story about the paralyzed guy and his four crazy friends. I love, uh, actually, Marilyn Hickey says everybody needs four crazy friends like these. I mean, so that I will give her credit for the crazy part. Um, but this is, I, I, you'll notice that there are little parentheses in many letters there. And I just thought it was kind of cool to show you how we have pieced this together. I didn't do it. But how this has been pieced together that the first 
uh, sentence there came from Luke 5. But halfway through, we see a reference that was pulled in from Mark 2, and then back to Luke 5, and then back to Mark 2, and then it goes back and forth, but we get the whole picture by doing that. And so um, I just think it's very fun to put it all together. I learned a lot just seeing it all together like this. All right, so I'm just going to read it out loud. We're gonna, I'm going to read straight through, and then we're going to try and tear this apart. Yeah, right, in 15 minutes. Okay, let's see how fast we can go. All right, so the paralyzed guy and his four crazy friends. And it came to pass on one of those days when he, Jesus, entered again into Capernaum. And after some days that he was teaching, it was noise that he was in his house. Okay, um, this is not my style to read from the King James Version, but we're going to do it anyway, okay? And um, we can still uh, glean much truth. And many were gathered together so that there was no longer room for them, no, not even about the door. And he spake the word unto them. And there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by who they were out of every village of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. All in one sentence. That's kind of interesting. I'm going to do, no, no, I'm not going to keep going. And behold, you know how hard this is for me. (laughs) And behold, men bring, or they brought unto him a man sick of the palsy. That was palsied, lying on a bed, born of four, and they sought to bring him in and to lay him before him. Lots of hymns. So we've got this, the paralyzed guy trying to get in front of Jesus. And not finding by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the crowd housetop, <laughs> I'm sorry, this is hard for me, but it's okay, we'll get there. They uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed whereon the sick of the palsy lay, and led him down through the tiles with his couch into the mist before Jesus. How many of you just learned something about houses back in those days? I always thought they had thatched roofs. Nope. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, Be of good cheer, thy sins are forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes and the Pharisees sitting there, and behold, began to reason, and reasoning in their hearts, they said within themselves, this man blasphemeth. Why does this man thus speak? Who is this speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but one, even God alone? And straightway Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, and Jesus, knowing their thoughts, that's cool, answered and said unto them, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? Why reason you in your hearts? For which is easier to say to the sick of the palsy, thy sins are forgiven thee, or to say, arise and take up thy bed and walk? But that ye may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, then saith he to the sick of the palsy, I say to you, arise, take up thy couch or bed, and go up unto thy house. And he immediately rose up before them, and straightway took up the bed that whereon he laid, and went forth before them all, glorifying God, insomuch that they were all amazed. But when the multitude saw it, they were afraid. And amazement took hold on them, and they glorified God, who had given such authority unto men, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. And they were filled with fear, saying, We have seen things. <laughs> we have seen strange things today. <laughs> I can just hear it, can't you? We have seen strange things. But it was undeniable, wasn't it? They all knew that paralytic. They all knew his history. He wasn't faking it. That wasn't a setup. 
It was a real miracle, and they didn't know what to do with it. That's what happens when real miracles happen. Sometimes we try to explain them away, but don't give glory to God. When it cannot be explained in the natural, we give glory to God. All right, so I'm going to kind of quickly run through this because I also realized that I constructed all your blanks (laughs) that you're going to need to be able to fill in. All right, so we start at the top, and it says, and it came to pass on one of those days that Jesus entered again into Capernaum. And what we find that happened just previously is that Jesus had healed the leper. The leper was a, a death sentence, all right? If you had leprosy, you, had, you were an outcast, and you were not to even be within a certain amount, uh, distance of any person, but, and never to be touched, and Jesus touched him and healed him. And the news spread to the point where Jesus actually hid himself for a number of days because it had caused such an uproar. And so he's showing up after a certain amount of time. And he enters Capernaum, and we find out that he's probably in the house of Simon Peter, and Capernaum was kind of his headquarters. Who else lived in Capernaum? Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. No wonder they were good buddies, right? All right. So it says that many were gathered in this house, that there was no longer room for them. News of Jesus was spreading like wildfire. And this may have been approaching the very height of his, if you want to call it popularity. But he's becoming well-known and recognized, and he's causing a stirring in the traditional Jewish church. They're not liking it, as we're going to see. In fact, this may actually be the very beginning of the hostility, because we also find out that um, there, this uh, whole house was just completely filled to overflow, and there was no longer room for them, not even around the door. People were just trying to crowd in and press in, and Jesus was speaking, and the word was that we got to come hear this man. He's the man that's doing miracles, and so there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting um, who had come out of every village of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. They were there to figure out what in the world is going on with this guy. And they didn't like it. You could just see him. Critical. Um, Jesus was showing them up. They didn't walk in miracles. And he was bringing the new covenant, and they didn't like it because they were, they were teachers and uh, people of the law. And Jesus came to fulfill the law. The law was never given to make us holy. In fact, the Bible calls it, but it is holy. Because it was given by God. But the, the, there's a verse that says that the law, the commandments were given to show us our need for God. And it's called a cruel taskmaster. Because if you try to live up to the law, which we need those parameters, we need those boundaries. We can't go around killing people. That's not good. Okay, so Jesus says, don't do that. The, I mean, the Ten Commandments tells us what is right and what is wrong. But if you think in your own effort and own power that you can successfully live out every part of that, we will fail every time because the strength of sin is the law. But Jesus was bringing, that's the old covenant. But it showed us our need for a Savior. And that's why the, the Pharisees did not like Jesus because he was giving a new covenant, a new way. And it was the new way of grace, a new way of forgiveness. So the, he's messing with them. And I love it because he's fierce and he's unapologetic. He, just, he doesn't care who's sitting there criticizing and, and scheming and getting angry. He just puts it out there. 
without apology. So here they are. They're seated, which means that they were given a place of honor there. Jesus didn't diss them. He, he invited them to be there. All right. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Hallelujah. And behold, they brought unto him a man sick of the palsy. And palsy is an abbreviation for paralysis. That's why we do call him the paralyzed guy. So um, to just a little note about beds. We're not talking about, you know, like a, a four-poster bed that they carried. But very commonly, it would have been more or less a pallet that uh, made maybe of a sheepskin. And this, uh, they would tie ropes if they were to carry him. The poor guy was probably like, you know, right in the middle. But they were carrying him around. You can just well imagine. And, um, and they found, can't get in. Can't get in. What are we going to do? But you know what? They were undaunted. And let me just say, faith is seeing your answer. This is number four in your papers. Faith is seeing your answer in the spiritual realm before it is seen in the physical world. This is number four. Faith is seeing your answer in the spiritual realm before it is seen in the physical world. These men, and the paralytic, I have to say, knew. They had a vision. They had a picture of this man. If we can get him in front of Jesus, he's going to walk today. They saw it before it happened, and it drove them to do amazing effort to get this man to the place where he could receive his miracle. And so they get to the door, and they, oh, my goodness, we're late. We can't get in. Can't even see Jesus. People are spilling out the doorway. How are we going to get there? And a lot of people um, think that. This because they went through the roof that they it was probably a two story house but um, commentary says that Peter probably wasn't that rich <laughs> and then you see pictures where there's a stairway you know because they had to get up to the roof and he said that was totally uncommon in Palestine but w- what these guys probably did was go through the porch and there was a stairwell or they went to the neighbor's house and they jumped across <laughs> from house to house this is their tenacity. And the vision, they were propelled by faith, and they knew that if they had to get him in front of Jesus and this man, our friend, he's walking today. And so what they went through was a crazy thing. And then we talk about, you know, we talk about four crazy friends. They had crazy faith. They had crazy faith. And so they finally um, uncovered the roof where they figured Jesus was. I think they were brilliant I mean, they're looking at a roof and go, okay, where is Jesus anyway? And we have to tear up a section of the roof, which was tiled and not thatched roof. I always thought, you know, how easy it would have been to just do that. No, they broke up Simon Peter's roof to open up a spot in the tiles, and they were, they were accurate. They dropped him right in front of Jesus. <laughs> Okay, if you were Jesus and you're teaching and all of a sudden you hear all this noise going on over your head and you look up and you see a man dropping down through the ceiling and you were there. What an amazing thing, right? But it's so crazy. And what I think, when I read the scriptures, I try to be there. And I think, what would that have been like? It's like, well, people are just like, oh, what in the world? Somebody's tearing up the roof. And then you see this man become uh, lowered down. And they put, it, put him right in front of Jesus. 
So faith is seeing your answer in the spiritual realm before it is seen in the physical world. These men had great faith. And I can also say whatever it is that you're needing in your life, see it first in the finished work. It's already there. You just claim it and say, I'm going to have crazy faith. I have a friend. Okay, she's not here. But I believe I would have permission to share. She said she, she wanted to go up. She stood in line, a prayer line, and Andrew Womack was praying for people. Okay, now if you're not familiar with Andrew Womack, I'm not worshiping at the idol in the altar of Andrew, but he, he just operates in such truth and, and in miracles as well. And she said, so I got in line. And she was dealing with a particular issue that had been, uh, been to several doctors. They couldn't really even diagnose it, but she was still not getting relief from her symptoms. And so she said, I just got in line. And she shared this with me, and I was like, I couldn't believe it. She said, he got to me. He had been laying hands, laying hands, laying hands on people. And he says, I can't pray for you. And she goes, what? What do you mean you can't pray for you? For me, and he says because you, and he discerned this. Okay, he says because you do not see yourself healed. Faith is seeing yourself with the answer before it becomes manifest in your body. You've got to receive it in the spirit realm first. That builds a bridge, and your faith builds that bridge so that it can cross over and show up in your body, show up in your mind, show up in your finances, whatever it is. Jesus has already provided it. So we're not praying, begging God for something. We're saying, God, I believe in you've already provided it. And can I just say, it's got your name on it. It's got your name on it. If it lines up with his will. All right, so that's what's happening here. But there were certain scribes and Pharisees. Oops, skip something here. The four friends. Do, 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 do. Say again. <laughs> All right. And Jesus, seeing their faith, thank you, said to the sick man, Son, be of good cheer. Thy sins are forgiven thee. Okay. Uh, can I just say he didn't come there for forgiveness of sins? How would you feel if you're saying, Okay, Jesus, I'm lying here, I'm paralyzed, and you just said, Forgive my sins? I think he might have felt a little bit surprised, and that's not really what he was going after. But I. I believe that it was something uh, that we're going to have to unpack here very quickly because it's very, very important. And so Jesus says, I forgive your sins. And it wasn't what the man expected, but Jesus was demonstrating his authority, revealing who he really was because even the scribes and Pharisees said, but only God can forgive sins. So what was Jesus saying of himself? I and the Father are one. They had gone to God the Father and, uh, for forgiveness, but now Jesus is saying, you can come to me. And this is, is this pre-cross pre or post-cross. I just made that up. It, this is pre-cross. So they're still living under the law, but Jesus is demonstrating what he's about to accomplish on the cross. And that is the total, absolute obliteration of the hold that sin has had on all of creation up until this moment. And Jesus is demonstrating that he not only has the authority, but this is what I'm going to do for all of you. And so the first thing he does is he, for, he says, your sins are forgiven. And, of course, the Pharisees didn't care for that because they began reasoning in their hearts, saying, this man blasphemeth. <laughs> All right, that is a, I know, I can't even say it. 
I'm not a big King James fan, but it's okay. So he began, uh, and here's Jesus operating in a word of knowledge, knowing something that he would not otherwise be able to know. It was revealed to him what these men were saying in their hearts. They didn't say it out loud. They weren't even talking to each other. And so Jesus calls them out. He calls them out. And he says, um, Jesus perceiving in his spirit that they were reasoning and accusing and getting angry. Maybe that was like written all over their faces. But Jesus knew their thoughts. And he's operating in the spiritual gift that we see in 1 Corinthians 12, 8. That one is given through the Holy Spirit the power to speak, the message of wisdom, and to another the power to express the word of knowledge and understanding according to the same spirit. So he had a word of knowledge about what was going on here. And so Jesus answered them and says, okay, question number one. Wherefore think you evil in your hearts? He says, why are you... Why are you thinking these evil thoughts? And why reasoning? Why are you trying to figure this out? Because they were full of pride. And since they didn't understand it, they didn't want to believe it. And if they were to believe it and receive it, they would have to admit that Jesus' uh, identity being revealed as one with God was actually true. And they, with all their, all their pride and their religiosity, could not receive that. And Jesus knew their thoughts. But then, here we go again. For which is easier to say to the sick of the palsy, thy sins are forgiven thee? Or to say, rise up, take your bed, and walk? Another question. Okay, I'm asking you, what's easier for us to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or rise up, take up your bed, and go home? I had to ask myself that question. It's much easier to say your sins are forgiven because there's no way that you can prove me wrong. Because nothing's going to happen in the tangible, you know, physical world. But Jesus not only was proclaiming uh, his godship, he goes on to say, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He says, let me demonstrate who I am. That you may know that the Son of Man, here's that reference to himself, he, he's yeah, try and figure this one out. 100% God, 100% man. <laughs> but he is God, right? He says, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He tells the man, rise up, take up your bed, and walk. He is demonstrating. Now, up to this point, the rabbis would have taught and believed that this man must have sinned. And that's why he's paralyzed. And we see this even in the healing of the blind man from birth the, uh, that got booted out of the uh, synagogue because he praised Jesus and proclaimed Jesus to be the Messiah. And he said, oh, that's enough of you. You're out of here. But because they said, who sinned, this man's parents or the man? And so what they believed is... Anyone who was sick or had disease of any kind must have deserved it because they sinned. Okay, I'm going to challenge you. We've got to root that thinking completely out of the way that we believe. Sickness came in through sin. Sickness has authority because 
our world is a fallen world. But let's go to number six on your papers there. I'm sorry, number five. Thank you. Righteousness trumps sickness every time. And I'm not talking about the president. Righteousness trumps sickness every time. When you've dealt with the root, you've dealt with the fruit. And that's actually, yeah, part two of number five there. Because of sin, sickness has been allowed to come in. But your righteous identity, let's talk about that. When Jesus pronounced forgiveness of sins to this man, you know what he was doing? He was offering the man a righteousness identity. When sins are removed, we are therefore righteous in right standing with God. All right, I'm going to skip over to number seven. Righteousness is right standing with God, which gives you the right to stand on every promise of God. Not because we're so good, but it's a gift of righteousness. And so here's, here's the connection. Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. What he did was he cleared the way so that he could receive his righteousness and therefore receive the right to stand on what was about to happen. He didn't deserve it because he had great faith. It was because Jesus forgave him first, and then the pathway was cleared for healing to come. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin became sin for us. Ladies, Jesus cleared the pathway for you to receive everything. The righteous standing has already been given. We are post-cross, okay? We are already been made righteous. And so you have the right to tell sickness to go in the name of Jesus. You can walk in the same authority, not because we're so great and so powerful and like we've done enough, but because Jesus has already given you that place. So immediately we find out, whoa, he did exactly what Jesus said. He got up. And look at number eight there. It says, Jesus said, and I just like it this way, get up, take up, go home. Sometimes Jesus was a man of very few words. He said, get up, take up, go home. And if you were that man lying there and you've been paralyzed for who knows how long, can you imagine what was going on in his body? I believe he began to feel this power, his joints cracking, and he began to move things that maybe he started with a pinky, maybe it started with wiggling his toes, and he got more and more confident, and he literally had to stand up. I don't think anybody had to help him. There was healing power, because remember, at the very beginning, we find out, and healing power was with him. <laughs> Not that it came and went, I don't believe that, but it was like, hey, this was his day. So there are a couple things we need to say. I guess I skipped number six. Sin is the authority. Can we go back to number six here? Sin is the authority for sickness to exist because it was the doorway that, sickness, that came, uh, allowed sickness to come into the world was sin. So sin is the authority for sickness to exist. But if Jesus took care of the sin problem, guess what? You're a new creation you 
take authority. It has no authority over you except what you allow. And I know that's a hard thing because there's people, and like myself, I'm still standing. I'm still standing. There's certain things that don't belong in my body, certain things that have been happening. And it's like, in the name of Jesus, and I'm going to keep on standing because I'm, my mind is being transformed and renewed to be able to understand this. I saw a picture of myself in a, like a stone statue. And I saw this like heavenly chisel and a hammer. And it's like, God, just keep hammering away at this, this unbelief and some of these wrong teachings and these things that infiltrate the way we think that are so incorrect, that are so wrong. And I saw all these chips just flying away because what's deep down inside is the truth of the word of God. And that's what's alive and that's what's powerful and that's where your healing is. So the moment that you got saved and born again, sin was taken care of and it clears the pathway for you to receive everything that God has. And if that's healing for you, it is yours. It is yours. Not, you don't say I'm healed um, after the pain leaves. Then I can say I'm healed. No, 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 no. You are right now the healed of the Lord. If you don't see it in the spiritual, you're not going to build that bridge for it to cross over into your, the manifestation. And we are not deterred by what we're seeing, by what we're feeling. Symptoms, honestly, are a lie. Because the truth is you're already healed. And if we can't receive that, then we don't really believe in the finished work. Jesus didn't say, I'm almost done, and then die. He said, it is finished. 110%, if that's possible. All right. <laughs> I hope your face is full of amazement for what we just saw and what we just experienced and how real it is for today. It wasn't just a story that happened. It is truth for today, isn't it? 